Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. You know, we're going to be talking this morning about a parable. Jesus is always giving us some information about things to come. I mean, his disciples were really, really interested in all the details of the kingdom. They just really wanted to know about the kingdom. Uh, the, the, the Jewish people of that time were so tired of Roman occupation and oppression and, and all that was going on. They were looking for Messiah, but their hope in Messiah was that he would come and deliver them politically. That he would set up a kingdom, that he would establish uh, a new uh, like reign of Solomon, as it were, and rebuild uh, the nation of Israel and just straighten out everything. And so they were so looking forward to that. And Luke tells us that Jesus was drawing closer and closer to Jerusalem and were right on the threshold. And they're wondering, is this the moment? Is this the time? Is the kingdom about to be unveiled? And, and that's kind of like the, the, the waiting answer that they're looking for. And Luke opens uh, us with verse 11 with that anticipation as he writes, While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he said, A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas. Now, just for reference, a mina is about three months or a hundred days wages for the average worker. So that's a pretty good chunk of change. He gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, Master, Your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be made uh, over five cities. And another came, saying, Master, Here's your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you're an exacting man. You take up what you do not lay down and reap what you do not sow. And he said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I'm an exacting man, taking up what I do not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, Even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, you bring them here 
and slay them in my presence. Now, be honest. Don't you think that's an odd parable? <laughs> you know, when, when I was uh, first uh, reading kind of ahead, thinking about um, where the, the um, exposition of Luke was going, and I read this parable, I thought, oh, Lord. <laughs> I've studied this, you know, over the years, but uh, you, you kind of lose track of things. You forget things, and I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is kind of a tough one. It doesn't help that the heading in my Bible says a parable about money usage. I want to let you in on a secret. Of all the things this parable is about, it is not about money usage. There's money in it, but that's not the point at all. In fact, the, the point is actually found in verse 11. And I want you to go back to the beginning and just look at this with me, because here is the key to understanding the focus of this parable. While they were listening to these things, the things Jesus had been doing previously, Jesus told a parable because He was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom was going to appear immediately. So the reason He tells this parable is because they were getting close to that entrance into the holy city and they were thinking this is going to be the moment when he unveils the kingdom and shows himself to be the 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 majestic king that's going to deliver us the messiah we've been waiting for jesus is wanting to correct that notion he wants them to understand this is not the time that the kingdom is going to be uh, manifest in, in political and, and geographical terms in a way that I will be enthroned as the king. This is not that moment. And so he tells this story, and typically a parable uh, only has uh, one major point. You know, most of our Proverbs and most of our stories, we tell the story simply to make a point. Um, and, and when you learn these uh, stories and colloquialisms and proverbs and whatever, uh, you, you know, you learn their meaning. And so the idea is that when you hear it, you, you get the point. And the parables in Scripture are very much like that. Typically, they are intended to convey one message to us. However, this parable, while it does have a principal point, is interesting in that it has a number of subpoints, which are also important to the unpacking of the meaning. They are essential to get the whole picture. Jesus is actually telling us a lot about the coming kingdom as he tells this parable. It is couched in figurative or symbolic language. He's substituting uh, minas and slaves and citizens for certain realities that are true in the kingdom because of the story nature. But in, in addition to the main point, there are a number of sub-points that are really very important. The main point, of course, is obvious. The kingdom 
is not today. It's going to be a while. I'm going away, and then I'm coming back. And I'm going to be gone for a period of time. That's the main thrust of the message that he wants his disciples to realize. Don't expect me to go to Jerusalem and set up the kingdom. In fact, I'm not even going to be here for a while. I'm going to be leaving. And while I'm gone, I'm going to leave you with some responsibilities. And then I'll come back, and then I'll set up the kingdom. So that, that's the principal message. But then as we look at the elements of the parable, some other things stand out besides the fact that he's going away. He has called his servants to himself. And I want you to notice that there are two different groups of people uh, circulating throughout this story. There are the citizens of the nationality or the nation around him. And there are those who are specifically attached to him as his servants. Two different categories. The servants are given resources. And they are expected to be productive during his absence. The citizens of the nation basically reject him from the beginning. And when he comes back, they are still in rebellion. And they, rather than receiving uh, any kind of uh, you know, blessing or whatever, they actually are slain. And uh, <clears throat> it's kind of gruesome in the, in the uh, parable. They're slain right in his presence. But in fact, it's a foreshadowing of the judgment that will come to unbelieving people in the nation of Israel. You remember what John said in his opening prologue of the Gospel of John? He came to his own people, to his own things, but his own people did not receive him. Uh, they rejected him, and they did not want him to have any reign over him. So these things are all uh, in view in this parable. Now, Having said that, I think it becomes obvious as we kind of take this apart, uh, who is who in the story. And we recognize that the servants that he speaks of are his followers. If you substitute the nobleman in this story who is going to receive the kingdom... If you, if you associate him with Jesus Christ himself, then his servants become those of us who are his followers. And so when he begins to tell the story, as we read it with enlightened understanding, we need to read it as if the nobleman is Jesus Christ who is going away, but returning someday, and we are his servants. And notice in the parable that we have been given resources. And also notice that every person has been given the same resource. Each one is given a mina. 
One doesn't receive three, and the other one five, and another one two, and one fifteen. Everyone gets one mina. And with that mina, we are expected to invest it or to use it in a way that will produce an increase, some kind of harvest, some kind of um, uh, you know, result that will be bigger than what we were left with. Now, if, if I've told you that much, just stop and think for a moment. What resource does every follower of Jesus Christ have that every other follower has in equal measure? What resource does He give us that everyone gets? He gives us the Holy Spirit. He said to His disciples in John's Gospel, wait in Jerusalem until you've received the promise, until you've received the resource, until you have been given the Holy Spirit. He's poured out upon you. Wait for that. Don't try to go out and be productive until you get the resource. You need the Holy Spirit. When He comes upon you, then you will be empowered. And as you go out, you can be My witnesses. And if you back up a little bit, Jesus is saying in that same uh, uh, teaching that He's giving them, He says, the works that you have seen Me do, you will do also, and greater works than I have done you will do, because I'm going to My Father, and I'm going to give you the same Spirit that I have. So you will have My Spirit living in you to accomplish the same things I have accomplished, and and you will do even greater things. I mean, think of how many people the church became, 120 on the day of Pentecost, soon to be 3,000, soon to be 5,000 more. Soon the the church is exploding and and lives are being transformed uh, all over the region. Uh, Powerful things are happening Because the same Spirit that Jesus Christ had, He has given to His disciples. Now, one of the things that we want to separate here, and I want to be careful to make this distinction, because I think a lot of times we have a tendency to look at one another, which in and of itself is a mistake, by the way. Um, You know, we, we compare ourselves with ourselves, and already we're in trouble. But we have a tendency to look at one another and say, well, I don't have the gifts that, that she has. I don't have the abilities that he has. I don't have those talents. I, well, I, I, I can't possibly do what they can do. You know? In fact, I can't even think of a gift I've got. I'm, you know, I'm relatively insignificant in the kingdom. We are not to confuse the equivalent investment that God makes in all of us, sealed into the day of redemption by the Spirit of God who comes into our lives to empower us with the life of Christ within. We are not to confuse that with spiritual gifts and natural aptitudes. And I include natural aptitudes because... I was fearfully and wonderfully made in my mother's womb. He's the one who put me together. Every human being has aptitudes, and ultimately their source is God. They came from Him. 
spiritual gifts are added to the lives of followers of Christ, which oftentimes uh, either go a different direction or they uh, mix and mingle with aptitudes or they uh, do other things uh, in us because of the power of the Holy Spirit. But we are different in those ways. We have different aptitudes, we have different gifts, we have different uh, ways of seeing and, and, and understanding, we have different ministries. The Holy Spirit fills out the complexity of the family of God with people that have all kinds of different capacities for ministry. If we were all the same, Can you imagine how confusing it would be this morning if every one of you were standing up here preaching a sermon at the same time that I am, and there was no one sitting there? Just imagine a church like that for a moment. How confusing that would be. And and frankly, if you were just like me, we might all be preaching on Sunday, but not a lot would get done other times, because I'm not a detail person. I need people around me that are administrators and, and have other abilities and other gifts and, and, and enhance the body in other ways. And so we have these different capacities, yes. But the thing upon which our lives will be gauged is not the spiritual gifts we were given or the aptitudes that God wove together into our lives in our mother's womb. Those are not the things for which we will be judged. As believers, we will be judged for what we allow the Holy Spirit to do through our lives. With the life that He brings and the purposes He fashions for our, our lives and our ministry. And friend, here's the reality. If you allow yourself to be yielded to the Spirit of God, you can accomplish all that God intended for you. In all that He envisioned your life to be, you can fulfill your ministry and come to the end of days and have ten minus or 20, or 50. You can have a whole uh, collection of accomplishments and, and fruit and blessing because the thing that makes us productive in the kingdom, everyone has in equal measure. We have the Holy Spirit and we have the power of prayer. And Jesus says, this is how you will bear fruit. Ask in my name and it will be done. Ask that my Father can be glorified in you. Ask and you will bear fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. I'm giving you my spirit and I'm giving you the authority of prayer. And with that equipment, every one of us has been equally endowed. So that when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, He's not going to ask Frank how many sermons he preached. What he's going to want to know from Frank is, did you allow my Holy Spirit to accomplish through you all that I desired? That's the only question. Did you give me free reign in your life? 
Did you let me work through you in such a way that I could accomplish in and through you those purposes for which I made you? Have you yielded your life to me? Paul tells us when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and that's what's happening here when he calls the servants and says, How'd you do with your minus? That's the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul says when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to look at us and he's going to evaluate our collection of investment. And some of it's going to be wood and some hay and some stubble. And some gold and some silver and some precious stones. And, and, and those of you that have heard me teach on this for a long time, you know that there's a, there's a significant distinction between those six elements. They're not technically elements, but they're, they're six substances. Wood and hay and stubble are the kinds of things that we can grow, we can harvest, we can produce. We don't need any supernatural power. But gold and silver and precious stone, well, the alchemists tried to figure out how to make gold out of lead, but it never worked. Um, We can't produce those things. They are pure, and, and we can only discover what God has made. They have an untarnishable, imperishable nature. Because God Himself has put them here. Gold and silver and precious stone. I think the distinction is being drawn between that which we can do in our own power and that which only God can do. And the, and the wood and the hay and the stubble are going to be consumed in, in the fire. It's not hell. It's not a fire where we're punished. It's a fire that tests the work. It's not for us, it's for our produce, our production. And when it's tested, if it was of the flesh, it's going to be consumed. It it will not last, it's going to turn to ash. But if it's gold and silver and precious stone, when the ashes are cool, it'll be there. You can dig it out. It'll be there. It'll be refined, in fact. It'll be available. And God will examine every one of us and He will look at the things that have been accomplished through our lives and the only question is, what did you do in your own energy and what did you do by My Spirit? I gave every one of you the Spirit. What did you allow Him to accomplish in your life? That will last forever. And then an interesting thing occurs in this passage and uh, i just give you a glimpse into this. But an interesting thing happens. Notice what he says. The fellow that shows up with ten minas, he says, um, give him ten cities. And then the one that shows up with five minas, he says, give him five cities. And the one that doesn't show up with anything, and by the way, the fact that he brought the one back is nothing, because he started out with one. So in this case, one plus zero is still one. You know, you started out with what you had and you didn't do anything with it. And so that was given to the one that had the ten, that had the, the ten minus and maybe he got eleven cities. You say, what's this business about the cities? What's going on with that? Well, there's some curious things happening 
that we have a little bit of insight into in Daniel and in Revelation. In Daniel um, chapter 7, and um, you don't uh, necessarily have to turn there, but write it down if you've got a pencil. Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 23 of Daniel 7. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones, and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High, and wear down the saints of the Highest One. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. But the court will sit for judgment. His dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. This passage in this verse is speaking about the Antichrist. And it's talking about the Antichrist at the end of the age when he begins to uh, bring all the world together under this one government, one control, one, one influence, and uh, he is specifically opposing God and the people of God. But all of a sudden, his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed. Then the sovereignty, the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven. This is fascinating. Will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey Him. You know what the Scripture says about the world today? The whole world lies in the evil one. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And throughout the atmosphere of this world, there is a population of demonic spirits and evil angels that are fueling the fires of dissent and jealousy and and, uh, selfishness and political conflict and nations against nations until one day they incite the whole world ultimately to follow one ruler who will oppose God and all who stand with God. They're in... City Hall, when the city council meets. They're in the mayor's office. Not picking on her, whether they're a believer or not. There are demonic spirits that are seeking to influence every level of government. They're in the state legislature. They're in the White House. They're in the Kremlin. There, throughout every nation of the world, influencing kings and presidents and rulers and leaders and mayors and councilmen and and all of those who make the decisions that govern people. The scripture says the powers of darkness are there giving counsel. Prince of the power of the air. That's why it's so important Uh, For a person to be a follower of Jesus Christ who is in leadership. But you can't just be a a nominal Christian. You've got to be 
a committed Christian because you've got to appeal to God for wisdom to see through the deception that is constantly bombarding your office and your, your decisions and, and, and the dilemmas that face you. You need God's wisdom. How seldom that happens in this world. But here's the thing. There will come a day when all the demons of the world and all the wicked angels and, and Satan himself will all be wrapped up and uh, bound up by, in chains in prison. And our King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, will establish his reign from Jerusalem and he will rule on this earth for a thousand years. Who is going to take the place of all of those evil counselors in all the halls of politics and national office throughout all the nations of the world? Who will influence the rulers and the leaders? Who will be there as emissaries and ambassadors of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Daniel says, it will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. In other words, we are going to be placed in those positions. That's kind of exciting because on the one hand, we're told that there's going to be crowns given out. There's going to be recognition for things accomplished in the power of the Spirit. And then on the other hand, we're told that we're going to cast all of our crowns at His feet and and all of us are going to lay at His feet all the accolades and all the recognition and all of the, 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 the accomplishments that have been done because they're really His. But there's actually a separation of time. For that thousand year reign, the life that we have lived now will have predictive significance for our roles in the kingdom. And the person who was fully yielded to the Holy Spirit and showed up with ten minus may be given ten cities to oversee. And then at the end of that thousand years, we will in fact cast those crowns at the feet of Jesus and enter into eternity forever as equals because... It truly was all his to begin with. But there is a time period when the judgment seat of Christ evaluates the, the impact that believers have made upon this world and rewards are given not according to our abilities, but according to how yielded we were to the power of the Holy Spirit and every single Christian has the same Potential. You don't have to be a great public figure to show up at that judgment with ten minus. You just have to be sold out to Jesus and led by His Spirit. Anyone, anyone can be that devoted servant that receives the ten cities. That should encourage you this morning. That should just thrill your heart. Because it's not the, the, the high and mighty by our way of thinking that may win the prize. It may be that humble servant who is 
frail in body and broken, and yet is able to to pray and becomes a prayer warrior. And through the impact of their devotion, um, influences nations. And no one ever sees what that person does. It may be the one who witnesses to, to friends and neighbors and colleagues and silently is always influencing people uh, to come to Christ and caring and ministering. And the Holy Spirit is touching their lives. And, and they never make a big splash. But their lives are powerful and effective because they have been yielded to the Spirit of God. Friend, this morning, Jesus is giving us some valuable information. He's gone away, but He's given every one of us a mina. Every one of us has one. We have a resource. We have the Holy Spirit. And if we will invest ourselves, give ourselves to His power and His purposes for us, we can see a great return. And when we see that, there will be great results when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and He says, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. As for the others, those citizens that did not want Him to reign, Uh, it's not going to go so well for them. In that time of judgment, they're going to be cast into hell. And then at the final judgment of the great white throne, as they once again appear before him, they will give an account for a life that was lived in rebellion. And they will ultimately be cast in the lake of fire and banished to the outer extremities of the universe as the people of God go forward into heaven. It's a gruesome ending, but it is a gruesome ending. And our passion should be that no one, no one find themselves on the wrong side of the bar of justice in the last judgment. We need to give everything we have in the interest of bringing people into the family of God. So let me ask you a question. Every one of you here this morning, if you know Jesus Christ, has been given the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. He is resident in your life. He is the same Spirit in all of us. He has the unlimited power of Almighty God because He is God of the Holy Trinity. He brings into your life the life and the power of Jesus Christ. Are you fully yielded to Him? Have you sold out to Him? Are you fully invested? Are you willing to let Him do with you whatever He desires? Have you given yourself to Him? Without reservation. You have an opportunity for your life to count eternally. You have significance. You have a great task. God has designed it for you. And He's given you the power in His Spirit to accomplish it. 
Are you surrendered to that purpose? I don't know what God has for you, but He does, and He'll gladly tell you if you are submitted to Him without reservation. Claudia is going to play for us this morning a meditative song just for us to sit quietly and think about this for a moment. Would you take a moment to bow your head, shut out every other thing, and allow God to speak to you? Are you sold out today to Him?